welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Brian Kaufman. Today, we're diving into Week 13, Rivalry Week. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports, where I give out all my picks each week. And now, transitioning to college basketball season, we'll start giving out some college basketball picks. Last week, the final week of the regular season, four and five, missed my money line parlay by a single leg. Thanks a lot, Caleb Williams. Thanks a lot, Notre Dame offense. Uh, but for the year, 62 and 57 against the spread. So hanging on over 500 there. And I've won two of my money line parlays. So up 9.8 units on those money, par- money line parlays. Gonna finish out strong with championship weekend. Gotta get over that 53% threshold. That's my goal. Already have some early picks up on Twitter, so be sure to check those out. Lines are moving fast, and I'll be giving out more as the week goes on. Brian, how are you? How was your week 13? How was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was great. It was great to be around family, to watch a ton of good football. Week 13, I think it lived up to its billing, man. A lot of teams played themselves, you know, continued to play themselves more firmly into playoff positioning. And uh, as we'll get into, uh, a few teams, you know, kind of gave up control of their own destiny and or simply eliminated themselves. So this is that time of year, right? Where it all is looking ahead towards the playoff. And I think we, we had a lot of results that are worth diving into. Um, none bigger than simply the game. Yes, that was the game of the week. It is the game. And that is Michigan obliterating Ohio state 45 to 23 to win the Big Ten East for the second consecutive year. Ryan Day now has a losing record against Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. My, how the tables have turned. So, Brian, I have a really simple question for you as we get into this game. What was your biggest takeaway for Michigan's win? So, I think that um, you can go kind of macro with this, or you can go super specific with it. And I think... I have a feeling you might go a tad more macro, so I'm going to go. I know we've talked a little bit about J.J. McCarthy all all season, right? And even when we both were on the record picking Ohio State in the game, a lot of it had to do with, do you trust J.J. McCarthy? The answer is no. So my biggest takeaway from this game and why I feel different about Michigan, even as soon as the playoff this season And what they're able to accomplish is that J.J. McCarthy can make all the plays, man. I doubted it all season, um, and and he stuck it to us. And and you could even go a step further, honestly, and say kind of all of Michigan's uh, offensive playmakers. Like we, I think we also had a discussion on this very podcast about, wait, somebody said they were impressed with Michigan's wide receivers. I have not thought that a single time watching them this season. And uh, a lot of them stepped up. Cornelius Johnson, 150-plus yards and a couple of long touchdowns. but man, JJ McCarthy to 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 make his first start in such a big environment on the road. You know, he only completed fifty percent of his passes, but he was just in control when he put his head down for the rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. It was like, oh snap, man, he's here, he's here. And so, um, you know, my takeaway is honestly, I wrote off Michigan as a 
national title contender this year. And I don't know that you can safely do that now. They played a lot of the game without Blake Corum. He's the guy who's been in Heisman talks for them this year. And, you know, ho-hum, Donovan Edwards, 200-plus yards, a couple of long touchdowns sealed it. Um, and obviously, it's nice to have a five-star guy step in there when when your Heisman candidate goes down. So just really, really, really impressed with with what they were able to do. I mean, second straight year hanging 40-plus on Ohio State, that's a big deal. That wasn't happening. So um, I just the, the offensive side of the ball for Michigan was a huge takeaway for me. Big plays were no doubt the story of the game, Brian. J.J. McCarthy, a 69-yard touchdown pass, a 75-yard touchdown pass, and a 45-yard touchdown pass. That's just not something we had seen from him or this Michigan offense, those big, explosive, game-breaking plays outside of the running game throughout the season. But like you said, McCarthy stepped up. Their receiving core stepped up, and they really proved to both you and me that they have what it takes to beat that Ohio State defense deep, that they can beat anybody deep, that they can generate those explosive plays, that it's not all about Blake Corm in the running game. However, like you said, Donovan Edwards added a lot with a dang club on his hand in the running game too. So it seemed to me, and J.J. McCarthy even said it after the game, that Ohio State was selling out to take away their identity, to take away their run game, and they made them play. They made them pay. And I didn't think that, that McCarthy had it in him to make them pay, and he proved me wrong, and he proved everybody who had doubted him wrong, and that is the reason that Jim Harbaugh decided to make a change from a quarterback who led him to a Big Ten title in the college ball playoff last year to J.J. McCarthy. We saw it here in this game. I'm not so sure that we saw it the previous however many weeks he was the starter after they kind of settled that competition, but it was all worth it for Saturday in the horseshoe against Ohio State. He showed everybody what Jim Harbaugh saw on him. So kudos to J.J. McCarthy. Kudos to Michigan. Kudos to Jim Harbaugh. You can't say enough about just the way the perception of this program has changed over the past two seasons with these two big wins over Ohio State. And I think what everybody is presuming as a back-to-back Big Ten title. I mean, Purdue's there staying in the way, but if last year's title game against Iowa is any indication, uh, it, should, it should be a romp for Michigan and then another trip to the college ball playoff. So my biggest takeaway from this game, Brian, is that there has been a changing of the guard in the Big Ten. Ohio State is not the team that we have to pick to win the Big Ten starting next year, right? That, that right belongs to Michigan now. They have earned it, they have proved it, and they now deserve the benefit of the doubt moving forward. It is not Ohio State that deserves the benefit of the doubt. They did for years and years and years, but that's gone. Michigan's crushed them two years in a row, and they did it maybe not exactly the same way. I mean, they they did get a lot on the ground, but it, it was very similar. I thought those games were really pretty similar in a lot of ways uh, year over year. It wasn't quite the same. Like Ohio state just doesn't have it physically, physically like Michigan does, but it was like, you watch that game. Can you tell me an area 
Tell me a unit. Tell me an area. Tell me anything where you're like, Ohio State is clearly better than Michigan. Because going into the game, I would have said, I would have said it's quarterback and receiving threats. Coming out of that game, yes, I still think Ohio State has the better receiving core. Yes, if I was starting a team right now, I would still take CJ Stroud, but not so much that it pre- prevented Michigan from winning the game. So I just come away from that game saying there's not an area on that field where Ohio State was clearly better than Michigan yesterday. Can you name me one? No, no, I can't. Which is which is why I think you're onto something with the with the changing of the guard. I I think that they they were dominant in all fashions, and and it's 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 fascinating. I'm curious if you buy into the idea. I, I read an article before the game about this about uh, the rest of the Big Ten should be rooting for Michigan, and the idea being like Ohio State had been that like solo team that every single program was was headed after i'm interested in your thoughts on that because like uh, and obviously we're going to get into some other stuff later on but like i don't know that okay if michigan replaces ohio state at the top does that really mean anything for the rest of the conference like i i don't know that i necessarily am on board with that i would like to say that i, I that's it's this is a huge thing for the rest of the conference but i I don't think it is. If anything, I think it's even worse because I think what you now have is a two-headed monster at the top in Michigan and Ohio State because I still think if if, if I just said there's been a change in the guard and Michigan deserves the benefit of the doubt and Ohio State doesn't, it's not because Ohio State is bad. It's because right, Michigan right. has stepped up their game to a new level. So now you have these two schools that are head and shoulders above the rest of the conference. Whereas in years past, maybe an Iowa team gets into that Big Ten championship game or a Wisconsin team can get into that Big Ten championship game and possibly pull an upset over Ohio State. And now if we make the assumption that we're going to be getting rid of divisions in the Big Ten going forward, it's hard to envision much of a future where these are not the top two teams in the conference for the foreseeable future. Now, Jim Harbaugh seemingly flirts with the NFL on a year in and year out basis. I mean, as of last year, he was interviewing with the Vikings, right? And that was actually part of the reason I thought like, okay, maybe he came here, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, which was beat Ohio State, get them to a college football playoff. And he realized that's as far as I can take it here. I'm out. Now I, I, in retrospect, I was clearly wrong about that. I mean, I think anybody as competitive as him probably once he had a lot of success at the NFL level, he nearly won a Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something he still aspires to do. Uh, but, you know, short of Harbaugh leaving, which is possible, I don't see how these are not the top two teams for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so to bring it back to, to present day, yeah, top two teams in the conference for sure, and we'll get into where Ohio State goes from here and and where they might fall and what their playoff prospects this year still look like. Can you make a reasonable case that Michigan should be the number one team in the country? Because I, I don't know about you, but is is there a better win out there in college football this year? Ohio State on the road? I mean, it's got to be. It, at worst... I don't think you can say Ohio State still is worse than the fifth or sixth best team in the country. Right. Right. So I, I think that is, I think to Michigan's credit, 
they have beat the teams that are their closest competition, Penn State and, and Ohio State, by 20-plus points each. And I think that speaks a lot, regardless of how weak their non-conference schedule is, and they've been much maligned for that. I think you can say, if you take into account the way that they have pretty much thoroughly dominated their schedule, including the two best teams they faced on their schedule, one of which was on the road. Yeah, I mean, I don't see if they're not number one, they're number two. They they, they can't be they can't be lower than the number two team in the country. So I would have no problem. And at the end of the day, in the college football playoff, like I feel like at least this year it's being number one and two and just staying Georgia. Well, I don't need to dance around it. Georgia and Michigan just staying on opposite sides of the bracket from each other are really, that's really what matters this year, right? One or two probably doesn't matter a whole lot, depending how you think of TCU, I guess, and, and USC and whatever other contenders are out there. But yeah, they have as good a case as anybody for the number one team in the country. And I'll go as far as to say, I think they sh- I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't be the number one team in the country. I mean, I'm impressed with Georgia. I think I would still say Georgia is the best team in the country if I was power rating it. But based on what they've done, I'll, I'll put up the Ohio State and Penn State wins against what's Georgia's two best wins, Tennessee at home, and what's the second best win? Still Oregon, I mean, maybe? I, uh, uh, now- Oregon, okay, Oregon. Oregon on a neutral. I mean, I I take Penn State over. I take. Uh, let me put it this way. I'll take or I take Ohio State over Tennessee right now, and I take Penn State over Oregon right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think like uh, my whole thing is is I think you nailed it with like we're we're kind of like uh, getting more nitty gritty than we need to. Like back when Tennessee had the best resume and they were about to play Georgia. And it was like, yeah, you could make Tennessee number one. And my only point on why I kept Georgia there that week, to be honest, was just like, I haven't moved off them. They they have been impressive. They haven't done anything to not deserve it. But I like what you said about, you know, there's no reason Michigan can't be number one. My reason is just that Georgia's been a solid number one ever since like week one or two. And I'll move them off when, when they do something that kind of deserves them to be to be moved off. But I think, I think you're right in breaking down the wins and stuff like that. So I, I don't know, like, uh, is it getting ahead of myself to ask you, like, can Michigan compete for a national championship this, this season? Like, is that where we're at now after this weekend? It has to be. And I think it really comes down to one thing for me. It's can the Michigan offense replicate this kind of explosive performance against a defense not named Ohio State against a defense named Georgia. And because let's Georgia, I mean, uh, Ohio State has improved a lot defensively year over year. Uh, you know, Jim Knowles came in. I think he, re- they re- he really addressed a lot of the, the gaps that they had as much as a single defensive coordinator can in a in a single year. But the Georgia defense is not the Georgia defense of last year, which is 
maybe the best defense I've ever watched in 30 years of watching college football, but they are still, according to SP+, the best defense in the country. They're a defense that generated, what, five, six sacks against Tennessee in that game? Uh, So that's the biggest question for me is, can McCarthy and the Michigan offense replicate this explosive performance against Georgia and I'd like to find out I still lean no this game makes me lean a lot closer to yes but if I had to put my money down right now I'd bet it the same way I bet it in the semifinal last year which is dogs 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 Mm -hmm. yeah I'm with you I'm with you and it and it's funny because like you watch these games and I never know when to pull the trigger on on being a believer or not, right? It's like, wh- why can't I think, why don't I think Michigan can beat them? Well, I mean, it's Georgia. It's a different breed, right? But like, I hope we get the chance to see. I, I'm like pretty pumped on the idea of that being a national championship matchup now because I think like Michigan has earned the right to be talked about in that, in that conversation. If I was willing to say at the beginning of the year, I said, I think Ohio State's going to win the national championship and they just did that to that team. Well, yeah, I, Ohio State was going to have to go through one of those SEC powers to get there. Why can't Michigan even be given that opportunity? So um, we'll see. But, man, just a heck of a performance and just one that I, I can't say I saw coming. So, Brian, you said you hope you get to see that game. Let's talk about what your ideal playoff would be. If you were picking the playoff, not who deserves it necessarily, but if you're just saying this is what I hope happens and what I – hope I get to see as a college football fan. What are you hoping for? So not predicting this weekend's outcomes, none of that. Just what am I hoping for? Yeah, I, I like, I, so I like a combo. If I can be honest with you, I don't think they're really like, how many playoffs have we gone in being like all four teams have a real shot at this thing? I don't think it's that common. Right. And so if I think that Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams by a decent amount, and I think that I'd like to see them match up in a, in a championship game, what I'd also like to see are some teams get shots that don't get shots. So for that reason, I would be absolutely fine with TCU winning this weekend and, and being the three seed and USC winning this weekend and being the four seed. And I think that would be a really fun playoff. I think USC with the way that they play offense going up against Georgia in a one, four would be cool. And TCU, obviously like they're kind of a wild card to me, like playing against some of these like really great historic programs like Michigan or Georgia. Um, to me, that's at this point in the season, that's what I want to see. I have no issue with Ohio state not going in. I, you, I could make a, an argument that I think Ohio State's still one of the best four teams, but it's fine for me if they, from a fan perspective, if they're not in it this year. It's fine with me too, and I was, I was kind of hoping you wouldn't say those four teams because I think that's exactly what I want. I would love to see Georgia versus Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley led USC team. I think USC is one year away from truly at least one year away from truly being able to compete for a national title. However, I think that when you look at what Caleb Williams has done, he's probably the Heisman trophy winner. He's one of the most elusive quarterbacks, the way Caleb Williams moves in the pocket and escapes pass rushers and makes things happen, keeps his eyes downfield, finds receivers, runs when he needs to. I just find him to be one of the most fun players to watch in in college football. And 
it kind of has me thinking about could we get a if we get a Georgia USC game, could we get a little bit of a repeat of that Georgia Oklahoma fantastic Rose Bowl from back early in the Kirby Smart era? Uh, I think Baker Mayfield was Oklahoma's quarterback at that point, but I mean that was an unreal game, a high scoring game, and you know a lot of the key players, at least from a coaching staff perspective are uh now at the the Georgia staff still at Georgia and Lincoln Riley and his staff is now at USC so I it kind of a little bit of echoes of that which I think would be a ton of fun and then I think Michigan TCU would be a really interesting matchup it would give TCU a real chance against the type of team that everybody says they can't possibly beat, that they're not good enough to be on the same field with. It's man ball versus, you know, this air raid, throw it a million times a game, explosive offense. Uh, if you're in Texas, you love it. If you're somewhere in Big Ten or SEC country, you probably say it's not real football. And so I think I, I love contrasting styles. So I think for that reason, I would really like to see TCU Michigan. And, and to your point as well, I think the TCU fan base would absolutely talk about a fan base that would show up and show out for a college football playoff appearance. Yeah. Give me, give me TCU. It's fun to get new blood. And that's looking at a playoff without Ohio state, without Clemson and without Alabama. I mean, when did you ever think we would see all three of those teams not in the playoff? I didn't. And and for those to be the teams too. I mean, I know our our silly little wins pool isn't the end all be all, but if you talk about Michigan and TCU, you're talking about the third Big Ten team drafted, even though some of us would have taken them second, against a Big Twelve team that wasn't selected. I mean, it's like it doesn't get much more fun than that for me. I feel like you're some fresh blood, like you said. That's it's it's fun. I don't think we're gonna be we're gonna be missing anything and we're gonna get in predictions, but if TCU and or USC loses, though, I do think, you know, the Ohio States, the Alabamas are the next on the doorstep. And so um, we'll see. We're not there quite yet, but I agree with you. That's what I want to see. Yeah, it could get real messy. And a team that could still benefit from that mess is the loser in this game, Ohio State. So we haven't we have barely talked about the Buckeyes here. We got to talk about them a little bit, Brian, because this is, as Gus Johnson likes to say, the world famous Ohio State Buckeyes. When the world famous Ohio State Buckeyes go down, you got to talk about what went wrong with them. So why did this happen for them yet again? I mean, we already talked about the explosive plays that were generated. Is it just a matter of they need to continue to get better talent on the defense again? Is there something offensively that's not working for them? What is the deal with Ohio State? And why have they now become the team that can't beat their rival? Yeah, I, I wish I had an awesome answer. I, I think like Michigan became exactly what Jim Harbaugh has always wanted them to be. And I feel like that is a, a punch you in the mouth and that's how he determined he was going to be able to beat Ohio State and he built that program and now two years in a row they two years in a row they've done that uh, I, where to go from here for Ohio State is such a tough question I mean CJ Stroud's unbelievable and he's going to leave school never winning the game as a starter and never winning a Big 12 title as a starter a Big 10 title as a starter um I don't know that it's it's necessarily offensive issues. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I mean, back-to-back -back years giving up 40 to Michigan, like 
this is just not what they're supposed to do. And you mentioned Jim Knowles. They they hired him to fix the defense when they got trounced in the game last year. Um, and I think you nailed it. I think for for the majority of the year, he it it worked. I think it's just I I think it's a I don't anticipate that they're going to all of a sudden sink into obscurity and win eight games a year all of a sudden. Like I think they're right there. I, I just um I do think they need to be careful and 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 take a long look in the mirror, but it's going to be a long off season in Columbus. I don't I don't have the answers, but the good news is I don't have to have them, but Ryan Day better figure him out. Yeah, I mean if you if you just go and take a look at Ryan Day's college football reference page it seems ridiculous to even have to be talking about what should this guy do next given the success he's had there it over five years and that includes his time in 2018 kind of filling in for urban meyer he's 45 and five he's lost five games over five seasons you know what is that 45 out of 50 that's a 90 percent he wins 90 percent of his games but he hasn't won the last two years the game that matters. And it's really become a one-game season for Ohio State. It all comes down to the last game of the season, that Michigan game. You know, if you heard him talk at all during the week, I just don't know where he goes from here because the way he talked during the week, it was as if this game, the loss last year had been weighing on him for an entire year. He had talked about how they had changed their practice habits uh, to kind of better prepare for this game, how they had changed their focus, how they had changed the things that they have done throughout the season, how they had carried those scars with them throughout the whole year. And it was their chance for the redemption. And Brian, I wholeheartedly bought into it. I was big on Ohio state minus seven and a half. I thought they have done all the right things over the course of the last year. They have the better quarterback. They have home field. They have that explosive offense that Michigan just can't keep up with. And it didn't happen. And it's like, where do you go from here? They brought in the new defensive coordinator, and I think it was a good hire, and I think it worked in a lot of ways. And if the answer is just you have to be patient and let them develop more more defensive talent, and I mean, it's like you could say, at least last year you could say like, okay, they don't have a Chase Young on this defense, right? But is JTT not at that level? I mean, look what that guy did in the Penn State game. He's at that level. I didn't, I don't remember hearing his name a ton yesterday. So maybe it's just a matter of they will continue. I mean, they are still recruiting well as they always do, and they just need to get more JTTs in their lineup. And in a year or two years, it will completely have flipped and they'll be stocked with talent. But you certainly, it, it's tough. I mean, you don't give up on Ryan Day, right? There, There's no world which you should give up on Ryan Day. But if his comments this previous week are any indication of how heavily last year's loss weighed on him, I cannot imagine how heavily this year's game will weigh on him, knowing that he is doing everything except the one thing he has to do to be a successful coach at the Ohio State University. And like you said, I'm glad I don't have to have the answer because it's a tough one. It's like, what, you want to, okay, so should I go get 
the best quarterback in the country? Check. Should I go get the best receiving core in the country? Check. Uh, should I get studs? Should I get a stud on the defensive line, the number one overall recruit in the country? Check. It's like, what else can you do? And as commentators and fans, I feel like we pick at all these little, maybe meaningless, unnecessary things, but it's like, that's what you're grasping at when you're looking at a team that has all the talent in the world and just can't get over that hump. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that it's some, some massive change, right? I think there's probably a lot of Buckeye fans and message boards out there that are want something totally different. This is a team, like you said, who's, they're still on the precipice and, and spells like this happen. Um, so I, I'm just interested to see what he does. I think like last year when he made the switch to Jim Knowles, that we saw that coming, like Kerry Combs was, was going to be gone early. I think he lost play calling duties during the season. And it was like, this is a change is going to happen. Um, this year, it's a little bit more difficult to pinpoint what you would want him to do and obviously that means I don't see anything super drastic happening, but it'll be interesting because you can't, you can't have a third. Uh, you, I think you were, I, I like to think, I don't want to put words in your mouth that you were joking when you said it, but like if he loses to Michigan a third year in a row, uh, there's going to be cause for it. I, it's, 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 it's a wild time in Columbus. Now let me ask you a question as I'm thinking about like, what could they possibly do? There was a time when Urban Meyer was there, that Ezekiel Elliott was the bell cow, you know, within that Ohio State offense. They were, he was toting the rock all the time, a hard runner, a guy who could, if they had to win a game running the ball, they could win the game running the ball. Is it possible that that's just a dimension of their offense. Not that Mayan Williams is a, is a good back. They have good backs. But I don't know. Do, do they have it in them to go and win a game where they run the ball 50 times in a game? Does that need to be a dimension that 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 they add to that offense? You might be on to something. I mean, I think, like you said, Maya Williams is good. Travion Henderson's good. I feel like every week this season, it's been a little bit of like one of them was out or the other one was out. It feels like they haven't had the full complement of backs. Um, and his name's escaping me, but uh, the, the guy who went off against Maryland wasn't either of those guys. So um, I, uh, Hayden, I, I think it was. So um you might be on to something. I mean, I, I think it's it's possible. They did, I mean, in that game, just because I pulled it up to, to grab his name, like they had a back run 27 times for 145 yards and three scores against Maryland. Um, obviously, Maryland's not Ohio but State. But that's Maryland. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe you, you might be on to something. It's, it, it does feel like it's been a minute um, since they've been able to, I guess maybe they seem a little bit more one-dimensional. It's funny because I would have said that that, that the one-dimensional offense coming into this game was Michigan and their run game, but maybe they did expose something on Ohio State and what they're able to do on that side of the ball. All right, well, 30 minutes in, we've talked about the game because it was the game and the biggest game of the weekend, and it was well worth our time, but let's move on. Brian, I want to get to Clemson, a team that 
really shot itself in the foot over the weekend. And we're in a situation where that number four spot in the college football playoff is seemingly wide open right now, blew a pretty big opportunity falling to rival South Carolina by a point and uh, really eliminating themselves from, from CFP contention. But what I want to talk about here is I think we are at a defining moment of Dabo Swinney's career. And no, this is not me saying that if Dabo Swinney doesn't adapt and change, that he's not going to go down as a very good coach or even a great coach because he's already a great coach. He's a national championship winning coach and not just a national championship winning coach, a national championship winning coach, a two-time national championship winning coach at Clemson, which is for all of its success is not necessarily a program that was just tailor-made to win national championships. So I want to preface this by saying Dabo Swinney is a great coach. However, the difference between a great coach and a coach that goes down as the best of all time, a la Nick Saban, a la Mike Krzyzewski, is the ability to change and adapt as the game changes and adapts. And if you look at Krzyzewski, a guy who was ahead of, ahead of his time in how he played in regard to uh, to shooting threes, right? At a time when three-point shooting was not like it is today in the Steph Curry era, where it was all about getting to the rim. Uh, he played in a way, his team played in a way where they shot a lot of threes. And then as the one-and-done era started to come along, he changed and adapted his recruiting philosophy. And a program that basically only had guys that stayed four years became a program that was a one-and-done program. And I think that is why Mike Krzyzewski is the best college basketball coach of all time. Nick Saban, I think it's been very well documented how he changed his offensive philosophy to go to more of a spread game. He brought in Lane Kiffin, kind of, changed the whole way they play offense at Alabama, and that is why he is the best college football coach of all time. Can Dabo Swinney do that now in this new era of college football? He doesn't like to take transfers, Brian. He only likes to promote from within, pretty much, and they've lost a guy in Brent Venables on the defensive side who was there forever. So I think we're at a critical juncture in Dabo's career now that, you know, last year was a three-loss season, this year is a is a two-loss season, and those are not bad results by any means, especially at Clemson. Clemson is a place where it's a good program, but it's never was a great program until the last 10 years. So everything he is doing is still good and he is still a great coach. But if he wants to be the the best coach of all time or one of the top three, four, five coaches of all time, he will have to find a way to change and adapt to this new era. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see if he can do it. I think he's the guy, correct me if I'm wrong, when you're committed to Clemson, you're not allowed to take visits to other schools without decommitting. Things like that where like you, you, you know, uh, he, he seems to have like a, you know, a, a, a tight group there and he wants it to be this family vibe. But in this era where, you know, players want to feel seen and heard, that's the type of thing I think you need to to adjust to as well, right? That that That's always kind of come off a little bit, dare I say, Edsel-esque to like try to have maintain that level of like deep control over the individuals that are coming into your program. Um, and so I think that's a great point. And, and I think it's, 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 it's great that you caught that at this point and not, you know, retroactively, because I think you're right. They've been great 
for a while and it's been a minute now. Um, I also think, you know, they personnel wise, like, you know, reading an article here, they're sticking with DJ for the ACC title game, right? He did not play well. Like he played poorly. I think he was eight of 29. If, if memory serves, he threw for less than a hundred yards. Um, and they're sticking with him. And and so, maybe I mean, listen, maybe we're not at practice every day. Maybe Kate Klubnick's not as ready as, as we thought. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a fair point to say. And, and I do, like, they, if, if they pull that out, they might be the front runner for that four seed if they, if they win the ACC championship. And so, um, it, uh, speaking of teams, coming off our conversation about Ryan Day and coaches that need to take a long look in the mirror this offseason – um, we'll see, we'll see what Dabo does, but you make a great point. You know, I just wonder if this isn't a time where we look back and we say between 2015 and 2020 Clemson won two national championships. They never finished worse than fourth in the uh, postseason AP poll. That is an unbelievable six year run right there. Right. But I just think if Dabo doesn't find a way to adapt In 20 years, 30 years from now, people will look back at that Clemson run like they look at the Colorado run in the 90s. They're like, oh, Colorado was a national championship program. Wow, that's kind of weird. And I'm not saying Clemson will fall to the level of current day Colorado, which is a bottom feeder in the Pac-12, right? Like, don't don't get me wrong. I'm sure this could easily be clipped to make it seem like I'm just bashing Clemson like crazy. But, you know, that's a... That's not my point. My point is that things change quickly in college football. We we just finished talking about how the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry has completely flipped on its head over a two-year period. Things change quickly, and I I would be slightly nervous if I was a Clemson fan that things are changing for the Clemson program. And it, it will be fun to watch if Dabo can figure it out. I don't know if he can. I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction. I wouldn't bet against him because I've said time and time again, I think he has done the most impressive job of any coach that I've ever seen because it's a hell of a lot harder to win a national championship at Clemson than it is at Alabama or it is at Georgia or it is at a lot of other schools. Like Clemson, again, is a good, not great historical program. So I, I am, I am I think Dabo Swinney is a fantastic coach, but will he be the best coach of all time? This is when we're going to find out. All right, you know, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I like, and and not to continue this conversation too much more, but I wonder if he is benefiting from the fact that like nobody's nipping at his heels in the, in the ACC, right? Like, like you can, you can stay stagnant if you're Clemson and pretty consistently be the ACC champion. I know you're talking about national titles. You're talking about trying to become the best coach ever, but that is an interesting wrinkle here where like Michigan was nipping at Ohio state's heels and figured it out. And I don't think that I mean, North Carolina has lost a few in a row going to the ACC championship game. They're not really like in danger, but you're right. Things happen quickly. So I think it's a fair point. Well, it'll be interesting to see with Florida State. Honestly, like I have more hope than I've had in a long time that Florida State can actually be relevant on a national stage and a program that could actually compete with Clemson because of anybody in the ACC, they're really truly the only program that I think can compete with Clemson 
from a myriad of perspectives. So, you know, they went nine and three this year, a huge step up from what they've done in the past. And I think they're starting to turn a little bit of a corner. So it'd be interesting to see maybe Florida state is the team that starts pushing them and maybe somebody truly being on their heels is what it takes for Dabo to, to make some changes. So I I think that's a great point. And I think that will be interesting to watch too. If Florida state can be that team. All right, let's quickly hit here on USC Notre Dame. USC takes down Notre Dame. Uh, Caleb Williams, probably going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. And USC has a chance to make the college ball playoff in Lincoln Riley's first year. Brian, did you see all this coming from USC or were you a little more skeptical at the start of the year? It was just a little hesitant. I mean, thinking back to our preview shows, and it was like, they've, they've got the talent. I don't think anybody doubted that. Lincoln Riley's been to the playoff as a coach before. Caleb Williams was very, very good when he stepped into Oklahoma last year. They got Jordan Addison, they, but Travis Dye. All these names I'm mentioning were not USC Trojans. And so I think there was this little hesitance of, it's going to take a minute to put it together. He he did a good job putting a roster together for this season. Um, and I think top quarter of the conference was a realistic expectation. Did I think that they would be playing in the Pac-12 championship for a trip to the playoff? No, I didn't. Um, but hats off to them. And, and, and I think it's, you know, I agree with you that I think they're a year or two away. I, I mean, he's recruiting well. I think they're going to, they're going to get there. Um, but I'm surprised. I, I, I am. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. I mean, I think and, – and look at them now, right? They have a chance to to avenge their only loss of the season en route to playoff. So um, kudos to them. Caleb's unbelievable, um, and they did a really good job in what was a, a tougher than expected or as tough as expected Pac-12 top to bottom. Then um, they're going to earn every bit of their playoff trip if, they, if they're able to beat Utah. I think – Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams at USC, they had uh, really just Lincoln Riley had the type of year that many people thought uh, Marcus Freeman was going to have taking over at Notre Dame. Like if, you know, Lincoln had a lot of hype around him going to USC, but all you heard all season was everybody raving about Marcus Freeman. And I think he did a really nice job to rebound, to get that team to eight and four. I mean, if you had asked, if you'd asked me at the end of September, how's Notre Dame going to finish? I would not have guessed eight and four. Honestly, I would not have guessed they beat, beat Clemson, but it's also, they also lost to Marshall this season. They also lost to a really bad Stanford team who now uh, David Shaw has resigned as, as their head coach. So it's, it was not a perfect season by any means from a Notre Dame perspective, but I think like given all the off season talk, you, you know, you would have thought that there was a probably a better chance Notre Dame came into this team, this game as the team that was 10 and one and had a chance to go to the college ball playoff. Then USC, I, I think USC still had high expectations. Their over under win total was set to nine and a half. I bet the under, I did not believe they were going to turn it around this quickly, but I also now believe that Caleb Williams is my favorite quarterback to watch in all of college football. So with you, kudos to them. Uh, I want to see them in the playoff. I think it would be a ton of fun to see them in the playoff. And uh, I think that they are going to be around for, years to come that much is clear to me that there is a a new power again on the west coast it's usc they're going to be a playoff threat for years to come um 
moving on, Brian, to from two of the hottest candidates on the coaching market last season in Marcus Freeman and Lincoln, Lincoln Riley to Luke Fickle, somebody who has been a hot name over the years, Cincinnati Bearcats head coach, soon to be new Wisconsin Badgers head coach. I think of the coaching news, this is the, the one that has stood out to me the most. What do you make of Luke Fickle to Wisconsin? Is it official? Have we confirmed this? I mean, the the, the team's Twitter account said, welcome at Coach Fick, and that's how I determine what's official these days uh, with his photo and everything. Yeah, I think... I think it's a, a, a big time hire. I mean, he's been the guy who has come up in in talks to get that major conference job um, sort of every year. I think I, I, I was sort of surprised, you know, I think it, it was going to take someone like this for them to not hire Jim Leonard. Like, I don't think Jim Leonard coached himself out of the permanent position. Um, but when you can get a guy like this who really built a program at Cincinnati um, I, I think you do it. I think it's a, a, a massively good hire. I think the big 10 is, is better with a coach like that in it. Um, you know, one thing we were talking about before we recorded, I'd love to get your thoughts on is like, why this job? Why now? I mean, I think Wisconsin's been a good program for a long time, but Luke Fickle was very clear about not having interest in some other big 10 jobs in the past. Um, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense from the the Midwest perspective and and he's familiar with the area. He's been in the conference. He's ready, obviously, to take that next step. Um, and I think the program is at a position where he can do a lot of what he did at Cincinnati, like program building stuff. I think Wisconsin is ready for it. It's a good time for that for them um, and a good changing of the guard. So I, I think it's a really strong hire. Here's my biggest takeaway from this hire. It's that all the talk that we've had the last two off seasons about TV revenue and money is starting to rear its head. I think that is why, and we don't know the terms of the deal yet, but I'm just speculating here that that's why Nebraska is able to bring in a Matt rule. Why Wisconsin's able to bring in a Luke Fickle? Because if you look at it just from a football perspective, I can very easily make the argument that there is a much clearer path to get to the college ball playoff, a 12-team college ball playoff, year in and year out at Cincinnati in the Big 12 than there is being at Wisconsin in the Big 10. And but I, I, I again, we don't know the terms of the deal, but my feel here is that these mid-tier to upper tier and Wisconsin I would consider an upper tier Big Ten job probably in a tier below uh, Ohio State Michigan and and Penn State I would consider those the top three jobs in the country or in the conference but I would put I would put Wisconsin Nebraska and a few others on the tier below them so the, the mid the mid to high mid tier of the big 10, I think is going to benefit more than anybody from the increase in revenue you're getting. Because at some point, like all these, at some point there's a differentiator, right? And it's either the amount of money you can offer, the amount of money you can offer to the assistant coaching pool, which is a really big deal. I know for a lot of, a lot of these head coaches, when they're looking at what jobs they're going to teach it, 
take is how 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 are you going to take care of my staff? How are you going to take care of my assistants? Uh, is there money for off the field, more off the field support? And the Big Ten and the SEC as well just has so much more revenue and is going to be able to offer so much more in the way of support. So even if the terms come out and we're like, oh, that's not an astronomical deal, it might still be making a difference in the amount of money that can be offered to the assistants, the amount of uh, money available to increase support staff, off the field staff, facilities, etc. So uh, I think that is my biggest takeaway from this. I think we're going to start to see jobs like Purdue, Iowa, uh, that type of job, Minnesota, I think valued even more than a top tier job in the Big 12. And I don't think it's a good thing. Honestly, I think it pushes us closer to that Super League that I'm so scared of of happening. Because if you just look at it from a football perspective, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a clearer path to a college football playoff, a 12-team college football playoff at Cincinnati than there is at Wisconsin. No, I think you're totally right. And and I think you make a good point. I mean, we don't have the, the financial details of Fickle's contract, but we do for Matt Rule at Nebraska, and he's making $72 million over his eight-year deal, which I believe comes out to nine a year. And according to this article, which I have not vetted if it's accurate or not, that is third in the Big Ten behind Ryan Day and Mel Tucker. Um, so, And Nebraska also paid out, by the way, that is a recently fired NFL coach that they hired. They paid out what the Panthers owed him to. And so um, it it is wild that the, the, the money that's getting thrown around, but – I would put Matt Rule at Nebraska in terms of a good hire too. I think I think those are he's a he's a known program builder, Temple and Baylor alike, flipping them around, not just flipping them around, but doing it relatively quickly and establishing his culture. So um I, I think you make a great point about about the kind of the how the landscape may change from a financial perspective. From a football perspective, I think both those Big Ten West teams got better with these hires and I think it's it's an exciting time to try to turn your program around. No doubt. I think they're both really good fits at those programs. I think, uh, like you said, both programs got better and the big 10 as a whole got better. And I, I think in a few years, I mean, it's just getting that league's just going to get tougher and tougher. So talk about, you know, nipping at nipping at the top team's heels. I mean, this is, this is when you have that middle tier that can start nipping at the heels. It's going to put a lot of pressure on Penn State. I mean, there's a realistic, there's a world where Wisconsin passes Penn State, right? There's no reason that Wisconsin with Fickle can't be better than Penn State. That puts pressure on James Franklin. So I think the Big Ten is going to be a ton of fun to watch. And, and I think both these programs absolutely got better. Uh, however, they will not be playing in the college ball playoff this year. Let's talk about who will, Brian. We will not have a show before the final selection is released. So let's give our predictions right now. Not what do you want to happen? What do you think is going to happen based on the results of championship weekend and what the committee does? Who will be playing in this year's college ball playoff? All right. I've got Georgia. I've got them beating LSU. I, I, they're, I, so they're in either way. I won't give you a ton of explanation on each one because we, we've talked it a lot. I think Michigan beats Purdue. I think they're number two. I think TCU beats Kansas. They're number three. And I would say for the record, and, and we can go as much down this road as we want to, 
I think TCU deserves to be in win or lose. I don't know that they will be. I think they deserve to be in, even if they lose to Kansas State. I've got them beating Kansas State. My wrench I'm throwing in it, the only team left that I can that I can call out. Listen, we talked a little bit about how we feel it might be a year away. I'm picking Utah to win the game on Friday night. And I think if that happens, Ohio State is sitting the prettiest to get that fourth spot. So my prediction for the playoff is Georgia, Ohio State at 1-4, Michigan, TCU at 2-3. Okay, so I got UJ and Michigan as well. Uh, where we differ here, Brian, is I think USC wins that game. I think Utah's a different team at home. That game was really close in Salt Lake City. Utah made the plays needed to make to win, but I've already bet USC minus one and a half in that game. Uh, I think being on the neutral field is the difference. And Utah, for whatever reason, just hasn't seemed to show up well away from home in, in big games. So give, give me USC. I think they win. I think they're in. I was very much with you at first that TCU deserves to be in with a win. I've been on TCU all year. I I really like that team. I I think they've been exciting. I think they've been fun. However, I don't know. Looking at the resumes, comparing a one-loss TCU to a one-loss Ohio State, I just don't see it. What what makes you think, make the case for me that one loss TCU should be in over a one loss Ohio State? Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I think their strength of their strength of schedule, I believe Henry De- Heather Dinich tweeted today. I mean, I, th- I think like a lot of their wins have kind of lost some of their credibility, right? Like when they beat Oklahoma State, that was a top 10 team and and that isn't the case anymore. Uh, when they beat Oklahoma, it felt like a bigger deal than beating Oklahoma feels like now. So I, I think you're on to something. Man, I just think like I want I want even making the conference championship game as an unbeaten to 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 count for something, but I, I it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Now this is of course with the loss, so I only add them in because I predicted that they'd win this game against Kansas State. Um but I guess I'm just saying it's the argument could be made that they deserve to be part of the conversation, win or lose. But listen, like I said it before, I'll say it again. I still think Ohio State's a top one of the best four teams. Um, and, and that's always what they say that they're searching for in the playoffs. So I'd have no problem. I just think that I think they're deserving. Yeah, I don't understand strength of record extraordinarily well, but TCU is number one in ESPN's strength of record number. Ohio State is number four. As far as strength of schedule, TCU's 35, Ohio State's 34. So it seems like they're not significantly different schedules, but the Big 12, and I don't know, this is where it gets hard to parse, the Big 12 only has three teams, including TCU, that have nine wins or more. You got a lot of seven and five, six and six teams in there. And it's like, how good are those teams? Because I thought they were good teams. Like I thought Oklahoma State was a good team, but they really didn't finish strong. Oklahoma's a six and six team. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think we should say Oklahoma was a good team because they were not a good team this year. But Kansas State is, and they'll have a chance to beat Kansas State for a second time. Baylor, six and six. I, you guys know my thoughts on Texas pretty well. Eight and four. I don't know. Just like I look and I say, is there a win better than Penn State on the road? 
I don't think so. And maybe that's too simplistic, but I look at it like this. Penn State on the road is a better win than any win TCU has. Michigan, losing to Michigan is a better loss than losing to Kansas State. And that might be a simplistic way of looking at it. But I think they're top two wins. Like, uh, would you, which win is Kansas State a better win? Is Kansas State, uh, is Kansas State at home? Would you say Kansas State at home is TCU's best win? Yeah, I think so. Is that? I mean, a better maybe win? maybe at at Texas. I mean, that's that's got to be up there now. At Texas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So are 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 those two? If you say those are the top two, is that better than Penn State on the road and Notre Dame at home? Do you think? No, no, I don't think that's fair. I I, I don't think that's true. But I, yeah, yeah. And but the whole rec- the whole schedule has to count, right? Like sure. I'm cherry picking the top two. I tend to focus more on the top the top of the schedule, the top wins, maybe then the entirety. And that's where that strength of record comes into play. So I don't know, Brian, that's where I stay in. Like, and I, I just don't unfortunately see the committee giving Ohio state or giving TCU the benefit of the doubt over Ohio state. I think to feel good, they, they got to go win that game. Unfortunately for them, I don't think they're going to. I think Kansas State is actually going to win that game. I am holding a Kansas State 13 to 1 ticket from preseason. So I will also be rooting for the Wildcats, which kind of sucks because I, I want to see TCU, but I also want to win that bet. But I, I think TCU, uh, I think Kansas State has a really good chance to win that game. They played them very tough the first time. They had a lead, they had a big lead in the first half. They had a chance to extend that lead late in the first half. They couldn't do it. They had some quarterback injuries in that game. They were down to their third stringer at one point. TCU came roaring back in the second half like they tend to do, and they got the win on the road. But put that in a neutral field. Kansas State's been playing great recently. I think they have that formula to make it the kind of game that is going to be tough for TCU to win. So I actually think Kansas State's going to win that game, and that's why I think it's even a discussion. So uh, after all that, I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, USC, Ohio State. So we vary slightly there. We will see what happens. I think it's going to be really exciting either way. That is not what I want to happen. That is what I think is going to happen, though. So we will see. It's going to be an exciting one. Look, we've talked a lot about some national stuff today. We talked about the big games, but let's get to something that's near and dear to our hearts. Maryland Minute, Brian. The Terps finish out the season 7-5. and five. Get a big win at home over Rutgers, a shutout win to end the year. A nice way to cap off the season. And it's funny, two weeks ago, I was down really bad, down horrendous after the Penn State loss. And I wrote down a question for you. I said, will 7-5 and five with an Ohio State loss and a Rutgers win be a success? Never asked it to you. Well, I'm asking you today because that's exactly what happened. They lost to Ohio State. They beat Rutgers. They're 7-5. and five. How do you view this season for the Terps? Yeah, I think I I can't help but view it in parts, or should I say, like, look at it from different weeks' perspectives. So I think at the beginning of the year, I would have taken seven regular season wins, without a doubt. Another bowl year, hopefully maybe another bowl win. I can't tell you the last time they've won seven regular season games. I think it's been a, a, at least a bit. And so um, that's that's great. But at 6-2, and two, staring down Wisconsin and Penn State, it, it 
does feel like a, a bit of a letdown to lose those and and to obviously Ohio State bouncing back, trouncing Rutgers, great. But it it I don't feel as good as I think maybe I should feel. And I think, and maybe you're gonna get into this a bit, but I I, I think it's because like this was so this was supposed to be the good team. Right. Like I think when you're a program like Maryland, it is a bit cyclical and like you build up and you hope guys come back. And when you time it out perfectly that you have an experienced quarterback who just so happens to maybe be the best quarterback ever in the program and this receiving core that everybody's talking about and so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, like go ahead and put it together Um, for, for that year to be seven and five. Um, I feel good, not great, I guess. Like, I I also feel like I'm ungrateful for something a little bit, but that's how I feel. That's where I'm at. I think, like, um, I, I'd feel a lot better uh, at, at eight and four. How do you feel? So 2014 was the last time Maryland had seven regular season wins. It there was the go. first year in, in the Big Ten. Uh, they haven't had uh, seven regular season wins since. They did get seven last year. With the bowl win, I'm exactly with you. I feel good, not great. I said it in text today. And the thing that's real frustrating for me, eh, well, sorry, I shouldn't phrase it like that. Okay, here's everything that's good. Mike Loxley came in to a very, very difficult situation. And all he's done since he's been here is improve the program and improve things. From going three and nine in his first year, then the 2020 COVID year, I don't even count that year at all. I mean, they were two and three that year. They had a bunch of games canceled. Who cares? Whatever. Uh, They went seven and six last year, and now they're seven and five, a chance to go eight and five. That is very clear, steady improvement. And at Maryland, making bowl games in back-to-back years is an accomplishment in this Maryland in the Big Ten era. It's, It's hard to do. It's something they, in fact, have never done in back-to-back years in the Big Ten. They made back-to-back years in 2013-2014. That was their last year in the ACC and first year in the Big Ten, but never two consecutive years in the Big Ten. So that is an accomplishment in itself. Beating the teams you are supposed to beat is an accomplishment or quote-unquote supposed to beat that are equal to worse than you. That is an accomplishment, and we should never take that for granted at Maryland. So I I am happy about that. I, I really am. What is really tough for me to get my head around is the fact that Maryland right now is struggling so much with fan support and building a a fan base and making it fun to go to that stadium. But the only way they're ever going to get that is if they can pull off one of these big wins. If they can beat, win that Ohio state game, if they could win that Ohio state game two weeks ago, that creates a moment that casual fans can rally around and say, Hey, I took my family to that Ohio state game and it was awesome. My kids had so much fun. They upset Ohio state. They saw the students rush the field. It was something, you know, we'll remember for, for years. And why don't I go to, why don't, why don't we all go to a game next year? Right. And why don't I tell my friend, Oh, it was a great experience, but, Right now, all that has ever happened at Maryland over the past in this Big Ten era is there's a big game that people are excited for, and they get blown out. And they didn't get blown out against Michigan this year. They didn't get blown out against Ohio State. But they also didn't 
get the win. Nobody sits around and talks about that time that they almost beat Ohio State or they almost beat Michigan except for fumbling the opening kickoff of the game. And they got to just get one of, if they could get one of these wins, the whole narrative and perception, I think both locally, which is most important for fan base perspective, but also nationally, I think would change a lot. There was a little bit of momentum this year at one point sitting at what, six and two about like about Maryland, but then six and two quickly turned into six and five and all that momentum from the college football world and that, that talk and excitement was gone. So I think it's, it's really, it's really, it just really sucks (laughs) that they couldn't, get one of those wins and i know like so we had a late night conversation about this last weekend with our whole group of friends and some of us have very differing opinions on it but for me it's it's just i'm appreciative and i'm happy for everything that has happened this year it's been a fun season and there was fun games and fun times but i want something I'm craving something and I think so many other people are as well I'm craving a moment that you will remember in 5 10 15 20 years from now where I can tell Brian's son that hey Brian and I were at the Mohegan Sun watching the Terps basketball and they pulled off this crazy upset against Ohio State and you should have seen it uh and Leah had an unbelievable performance and, and uh, Talia Tunga Vailoa will be a name that kids remember 20 years from now. I am craving that and we need a big moment for that to happen. So that's kind of where I am. It's complex, right? It's objectively good and I'm happy, but I still think there's something that there's just a little bit more that would have made it great. I think that's great. 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> it's just it's tough it's a tough situation and it's a complex situation we could talk about it for probably hours and hours uh okay brian we are over time here so let's just end this scrap some of the other things we had let's just end this with one championship saturday look ahead thought what do you got so this goes contrary to something you've said a few times in this episode but it's be it's in line with one of my predictions so I agree that Caleb Williams is the Heisman frontrunner. My championship Saturday thought, if they drop it to Utah, is that I do believe that Max Duggan could win the Heisman Trophy on Saturday. Caleb Williams is out in front, but if they lose, if I, I think it's the year for someone like him to do it. Like a lot of these guys have kind of taken themselves out. CJ Stroud's not going to win it now, right? Like, I mean, maybe Blake Corum got hurt. He's he's stumbling down the stretch. Caleb is like right now he's in the in in the front position, right? But if they lose, if they don't make the playoff, and and Max Duggan sitting here with three thousand yards, he'll be at thirty touchdowns. He's only thrown like two or three picks. I think he'd be in an incredible position for it. And so I think that there's I think that there's always going to be something working against a quote unquote smaller school quarterback, right? Not a traditional power. And I think that's happening this year too. But I think the way the chips are falling, it's actually feasible. Listen, if the if, if USC wins, I don't care if Caleb plays poorly, he's probably going to win it. Some chips have to fall to make this happen. But I I got my eyes on that game, man, because 
if Duggan does find a way to go off and have unbeaten TCU in the playoff, I think he deserves to be right there. Plus 2,500 on FanDuel. Only four players listed. Caleb Williams, CJ Stroud, Max Duggan, Stetson Bennett. So plus 2,500. Same odds as CJ Stroud. I really like the way you're thinking there. It's a perspective I really hadn't thought of at all. So are you going to you going to put a little cash down? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't looked. I mean, that's 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 pretty juicy for something that is like, I don't think entirely unreasonable. So, yeah, I think I will. I love it, Brian. I think that's a, a outstanding perspective and outstanding thought for Championship Saturday. My Championship Saturday thought is I am just extremely happy for Purdue Boilermaker fans, Brian. They are going to be making the short trip to Indy next week. Won the Big Ten West Division. They're going to play Michigan. Uh, they're probably not going to beat Michigan, but it's been an unbelievable weekend for Purdue fans. They're going to get to continue that next weekend with that trip to Indy. On Friday, their men's basketball team beats Gonzaga. On Saturday, they beat their biggest rival, Indiana, to win the division, clinch that trip to Indy. And on Sunday, today, they take down Duke. So two top 10 basketball wins and a football division championship in three days. What a Thanksgiving weekend. What a time to be a Boilermaker fan. And I got to imagine they are going to be rolling pretty deep in Indy. Not a far trip at all. Huge alumni base there. And I uh, think they're going to have a good old time at Lucas Oil Stadium, even if they even if they, they don't keep it too close with Michigan. So I'll be excited for them. I always love, like I said, with TCU – you know, new fan bases getting involved in the playoff. I just like fan bases as a Maryland fan. I like fan bases that don't traditionally have a lot of success getting to enjoy some of the fun things about college football playoffs. So that's kind of a feel good thing for me with the Boilers. Not just two top 10 basketball wins, two top 10 basketball blowout wins. I mean, they were both darn near 20 points. They won by 18 over Gonzaga and 19 over Duke. I mean, Shoot, they're going to be in the top 10, top 15 the next time the rankings come out. So, yeah, shout out Purdue. I like it. Yeah, Zach Eady, early candidate for player of the year. If you can find odds on him that are plus anything, do it. Because uh, that man at seven foot four is having one hell of a start to the season. So good time to be a Purdue Boilermaker, a good time to be a college sports fan. We got championship Saturday ahead. We got selection Sunday. We got bowl games. We got the playoffs and we got college basketball season rounding into full form. We will have talk about all of that and more in the weeks ahead. I'm going to be making a list of Bowl teams that I think are super motivated. Texas Tech at the top of my list. Got to get those bets in early because those bowl game odds move a lot. But that's one of the things I'm going to be working on. Who is motivated heading in the bowl season? We're going to be getting into some more basketball content here coming up soon as the season is really fully underway now with Feast Week. And obviously, we have the playoffs still to go so just a great time to be a college sports fan a great time to be listening to tailgates till may that's our show look forward to talking to you again soon until next time keep the grill hot and the cooler cold